turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome back. I am Seth Leibson, and as we do every Monday, we check in with our national security, international relations, and he knows a few things about domestic politics, too. Expert Brandon J. Weicker, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and his brand spanking new book that will be on the bookshelves next week, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. You can order it now online and you'll have it by pub date. Brandon Weikert, congratulations and thanks for being with us. Well, thank you. We are finally coming out of uh, that hurricane uh, we've been dealing with. We finally got our power back yesterday. Uh, Remember I said the last time I was on the show, I didn't think it was going to be that serious of an event. And I was wrong. It was uh, we had 140 mile an hour winds outside yeah. of our our front door, so um, it is nice to be back in civilization and getting ready for my book release. So thank you for that plug. Of course, it's a heck of a great book, and the timing couldn't thank have you. been better um, because you know Iran is so much in the news. We'll get to it in a moment. Have you ever seen an old movie um, with uh, Peter O'Toole and Richard Burton, uh, Beckett? Did you ever see Beckett? Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I had a feeling well, you did, because no you like that weird European stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's the blurb for your next book. Yeah. Brandon likes yeah. that like weird it? European stuff. <laughs> I, I, am, I am an Anglophile. Uh, you know, I, I thought you so. might. <laughs> I thought you might have. And I, and, I, and I was thinking of it as you were talking. And what I wanted to ask you about, all the turbulence, is that great line in the movie, who will rid us of this turbulent priest, right? Who will rid us of this turbulent priest? So Joe Biden, your president and mine, says uh, to a group of donors, no one else, just, you know, people who paid $100,000 or more to be in a room with him, that we're facing Armageddon. We're facing Armageddon. Now, I take the point that we're facing perilous times in very turbulent water, choppy waters, let's not be tautological, uh, choppy waters, I think he's the one who has, um, who, has, who, has, who has created the waves. But, Branton, are you, are you not surprised that there's not a little more pressure on the White House Communications Department or the Secretary of State or National Security to ask for a little bit of a clarification? Are we really facing Armageddon right now? And isn't that something you might want to lead with or possibly share with more than the Manhattan set? Yeah. So I do think that we are teetering on the edge of a very, very bad day. Yeah. Um, We have basically, we did the right thing to help the Ukrainians defend themselves. But the problem is, is that we have ceded escalation dominance or control over it to both Kiev and Moscow. Right. So that we are basically, even though we are the reason that Ukraine has even survived as long as it has in this war, the Biden administration has ceded all agency to the two warring parties, our allies in Kiev and the rivals in Moscow. Uh, And so now what's going on is that Moscow, Vladimir Putin, 
Uh, his back is up against the wall. He's losing this war. So now he's desperately trying to throw in this additional 300,000 troops. It looks like he's going to get uh, the Belarus, uh, the Belarusians to, to help him. Um, and he's hoping that that will be enough to push back the Ukrainian games in the Russian-speaking eastern enclaves of Ukraine. I don't know if it will be, given how badly the Russian military has performed conventionally thus far. Another part of his plan by Putin uh, is to try to starve Europe of its, of its heating sources this coming winter, which is set to be the coldest on record. Right. Again, I don't believe that that plan is going to have its intended effect for Russia, which means that come February, March, April, going into the, the spring and summer, um, uh, Putin's going to be in a position where his economy is collapsing, his military is losing, his people know it. His people are, are raging against it. Uh, and eventually, if he can't win in this conflict any way possible, uh, he will get a bullet in the back of his head. And so at that point, he is likely going to initiate some kind of nuclear weapons escalation. And we are not prepared for it. Uh, and so, yes, I think that in this case, Biden is correct because of Biden's actions or rather his decision to let the Ukrainians get in the driver's seat of this thing. Uh, yeah, we're teetering on a nuclear abyss and he's out there. Biden is rather than trying to take control of the situation like any good president would do. He's out there, uh, you know, on the Rehoboth Beach in Delaware, licking ice cream cones and, uh, you know, yammering about the Republicans. So this is a very bad situation, and it's about to get a whole lot worse if what, if what I think is going to happen is going to happen. Let me, st- let me stay on Russia for just a moment uh, with you. Uh, I guess it was Saturday we woke up to see that explosion on the, on the, yeah. on the bridge over the Kerch Straits. Am I saying it right, Kerch? Kerch Straits? Yeah. Um, a lot of people were speculating this was an escalation, and a lot of others were saying this was a great move because it's it, it's a strangle between Russia and yeah. uh, and uh, Crimea. Yeah. Uh, not not a lot of news about it today, at least not from those of us who aren't exclusively focused on issues like international relations. Yeah, well, that's it's partly because also people are now the media thinks are bored uh with uh-huh. the story of uh-huh. ukraine so uh-huh. but yes this was a tactical victory for the ukrainians it was a smart move because that's one of the key conduits uh that allows uh material and personnel to come into ukraine from russia via land and russia is a land power first and foremost so um removing that bridge will severely complicate the russian ability to move the additional 300,000 troops they're trying to mobilize not going to stop it entirely, but it's a complication for them. Um, but but that that regardless of what's going on, that only compels Putin to get more desperate and look at other forms of escalation. So what we need to be prepared for, and I don't know if we really are, is escalation in cyberspace with Russian attacks directed against key European and American infrastructure. We need to be really paying attention to the threat to our satellites that you and I have talked about. We need to be, we need to be paying attention to electromagnetic spectrum attacks, even possibly an EMP strike on mainland United States or Europe. Uh, we need to be looking at things like that um, so that would anticipate and lead into uh, a wider Russian nuclear weapons assault, whether it be with tactical nuclear weapons in Ukraine only or even, God forbid, against other NATO member states 
for Putin to kind of send a message or whatever. Also, we need to be looking out for, I just talked to the Daily Mail, and they just published the piece I was quoted in extensively. Okay. Uh, it looks like the Russians are moving their ships uh, into the position where they could cut those undersea communications cables that link Europe, Britain, uh, together with the United States. And so if they were to do that, that would be very damaging to the telecommunications of Europe and Ukraine. You know, that issue about um, American people's attention and the media is just realizing, you know, that it's waning on this story. I, I, you know, it's an odd thing. I was just thinking back. I said a lot about this at the time. But when Joe Biden gave his State of the Union address uh, in January of this year, gosh, this year is going by fast. It's gone by, yeah. The first part of it, the first, in fact, 25 percent of the whole State of the Union speech was about Ukraine and Russia. And I guess he was yeah. trying to rally people to his side on this issue or to create some kind of unity over it. Yeah. Boy, he really has dropped it. And and he, not just the media, but he has as well. He's not he's not plucking away at that anymore, uh, nor does he seem to care much about American unity anymore. At that right. speech in Manhattan where he spoke of Armageddon, he right. didn't lead with that. He led with no. uh, uh, Republicans are a threat to democracy. Right. That's the bigger right. threat to well, him. Well, there's a linkage here now in the minds of the Democrats. And this is why the people on Twitter are so nasty who support Ukraine. You know, I support Ukraine, too. I've been a consistent supporter for over a decade. When I worked in government, I was part of the group that was trying to get funding for uh, giving resources to Ukraine to stand against uh, Russia in 2014. Uh, the issue. Oh, yeah, though, no, a lot of us were the, pressuring Obama-Biden yeah, to do something right. then. The, yeah, the issue, right. though, is, yeah. you know, we are, we are supposedly the sole remaining superpower. We're definitely a great power, the leading great power in the world. Russia is technically a great nuclear power as well. And so the responsible thing to do would be to say to Ukraine, we're going to give you what you need to protect your sovereignty, but there's a limit because Russia will lash out with nukes, and it is not in our national interest to risk a nuclear warfare for you or any other border right. state. Right. And so we're going to have to figure out a balance. But what's going on now is basically, and, and you know, I was saying this to a, a podcaster that I sometimes show, show up on the podcast, uh, the uh, Tommy's podcast is what it's called. And I, and I said to him, I said, you know, Tom, I said, I wonder what Ukraine really has on Hunter Biden, because I've never seen an American president, Democrat or Republican, cede so much control of a war that we are so intimately involved in to local parties on the ground. Yeah. We didn't do it in Afghanistan like this. We didn't do it in Iraq like this. We didn't do this at any point in our history. We didn't do this in Vietnam like this. Uh, this is something that is relatively new. You got to wonder why. And maybe it's because Hunter Biden was on the board of Burisma for however many years, making 50K a week uh, as a natural gas consultant. Of course, he knows nothing about gas. He does know a lot about hookers and uh, drugs. Yeah. And so you have to wonder what the Ukrainians have on Mr. Biden, that he won't even get involved in the ongoing war as the president of the United States, the president of the alliance that is responsible for the Ukrainians having any chance of, of fighting back. Um, and so, and there is this connection between, the, in the Democrats' mind, between Ukraine and the Democratic Party being the good guys, and Russia and the Republican Party, because of course, in their mind, Donald Trump was a Russian spy. Yeah, of course. And so, this is their, so when Biden opened up those remarks in Manhattan, in his adult brain, 
they were very much connected. It made sense that he would open up with Republicans are the greatest enemy to democracy at home because their buddies are the Russians and they're the greatest threat to democracy abroad. Brandon, Brandon, let me hold it right there. Let me take this quick break and we'll be right back. I'm Seth. He's Brandon Weikert. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is a columnist with the Asia Times, American Greatness, the Washington Times. Has a brand new book coming out next week. You can order it now, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. We'll get to Iran in the Middle East in a moment. Wanted to do a international, a little bit of an inter- international domestic question for Brandon, see if we're on the same page. Brandon, um, the this happens a lot, and it probably happens with you, too. Um, people, this story that, that the FBI is sending Hunter Biden evidence to the U.S. attorney about guns and taxes. People say, oh, is Hunter Biden finally going to get in trouble? Is Hunter Biden? And I say no. I mean, I, I just, every little drop like this about Hunter, I think you have to understand the temperature in the room. Until right. the FBI or the DOJ is run by Republicans, uh, they're going to do everything um, short of, uh, well, they're going to do anything to keep Hunter Biden yeah. and the Biden family and most Democrats just in perfectly fine fettle. Do you disagree? No. In fact, I one thing I do disagree with is I think if a Republican is in charge of the FBI, I don't think anything will still happen to the Bidens. Interesting. Um, okay. I think that it's a All right. club. Let's say it's, it's, a, let's a, say it's, it's a, a necessary but not sufficient yeah. <laughs> predicate for yeah, something but to my happen. Point, okay. let, let, me just, let me just tell you what I think is going on with the FBI. Okay. Um, the reason that they've annou- they're announcing or making utterances that they're going to start investigating, I think, is because the FBI is anticipating a Republican victory in November uh-huh. in the midterms. I think they realize that. Uh, if the Republicans win, Jim Jordan and the like are going to go after the Hunter Biden story using official sources, resources to investigate to basically Benghazi Biden via his son Hunter. And so what the FBI is going to try to do, I think, is head it off, initiate an investigation. And then anytime the Republicans after November want to do their own investigation, the FBI will be unable to cooperate or the FBI will not be able to comment publicly or comment on an ongoing investigation. And they've just insulated Hunter for another couple of years. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is a uh, headline that says uh, GOP led House could force FBI director to testify on Hunter Biden. No, it doesn't have to. They can simply say what you said. We don't comment on ongoing investigations. Yeah. And how many Secret Service? I know one in particular, great guy. uh, But, but, you know, when, when Clinton... When they were trying to go after Clinton, the Senate uh, tried to get Secret Service agents subpoenaed, yeah. and the Secret Service agents risked going to jail rather than, than because of their job, rather than you know turn on the president at the time, Bill Clinton, to give congressional testimony. They pled the fifth, basically. So um, you know this, there's a history of this happening, and uh, the FBI is going to, I think, in this case, try to protect Hunter by saying they're investigating him, and they can't. They can't work with the Congress, and Congress can't get any information because the FBI is investigating, and really what they're doing is slow-walking and insulating uh, uh, Hunter Biden. Yeah, I I, I think that establishment there, I think they think that whenever Republicans are in charge, they're just visitors. Uh, Oh, that is what they think. Yeah, Stuart Stuart Stevens told Tevi Troy, whenever the media covers Republicans, you have to— 
view Republicans yeah. as being on the away team. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I was explicitly told in 2008 um, when Obama was taking office, um, or rather coming out of Obama going into to Trump, um, I, I asked a friend of mine who had been working at the Pentagon under Obama, I said, uh, you know, how do you feel about the fact you're going to have to work for your hated enemy, Donald Trump? And his response to me was, oh, Brandon, because I've been here for 15 years. It doesn't mean anything. Yep. Oh, Trump will come and go, but we will still be here. Yes, exactly. Meaning right. the permanent bureaucracy. Yeah, so I... that's, that's the mentality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Brandon, you are working on an interesting theory on yeah. we'll work our way to Iran, but you're working on an interesting theory vis-a-vis Saudi Arabia, aren't you? Yeah. Talk to us. Yeah, so the, yeah basically we, everybody's angry at Saudi Arabia because they made this surprise announcement with the Russians uh, that Saudi Arabia will be making drastic cuts to their oil production by about 2 million barrels, the steepest cuts since 2020, the lockdown from COVID. Uh, and that's going to, of course, jack the prices up for you and I at, at the pump significantly. Uh, and many in the Democratic Party are threatening and, and trying to you know, figure out how they can make Saudi Arabia pay politically, because obviously this is going to have a direct negative impact on the prospects of the Democratic Party in the coming midterms, which is already a precarious scenario for them to win, um, given the state of the economy. But I'm working on a couple of pieces right now, one for The Washington Times, basically where I walk through why that happened. And it all has to do with Mohammed bin Salman feeling like President Biden and the Democrats are basically trying to overthrow him. Uh, beginning of this month, the, the uh, Justice Department, or rather beginning of this month, Mohammed bin Salman was named by the king of, of Saudi Arabia. Not only is he the heir apparent to the king, but now Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, is officially the prime minister of Saudi Arabia. The next day, October 2nd, there's a court proceeding going on in the United States where the widow of Jamal Khashoggi, who was the Saudi dissident that was murdered in the uh, Saudi consulate in Turkey, was dismembered alive. Saudi dissident who used to be friends with Osama bin Laden. Laden. Yeah. Yes, he's an Islamist. Yes, yes. But my my point is, is that he was dismembered alive, they believe, at the orders of MBS, of Mohammed bin Salman, and so the wife is trying to sue Mohammed bin Salman in an American court. And the minute that Saudi Arabia named MBS as prime minister, sovereign immunity is supposed to be invoked, and you can't be sued if yeah. you're the head of a you know right. head of a government. Right. And so the, the Justice Department lawyers were asked by the judge on October second in this case, can we even go on with this because he has sovereign immunity now? And the Justice Department, rather than saying, yeah, we have to drop the case. They said, give us 45 days to figure out if he really does have sovereign immunity. 48 hours after that, that decision by the Biden Justice Department not to grant sovereign immunity immediately to NBS, that was when the Saudis went in uh, and, uh, and cut these, cut these uh, production. Uh-huh. It's because the two million Biden, barrels they wouldn't go for. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. It's because there is a war between Biden and NBS. Whatever MBS did to Jamal Khashoggi, Jamal Khashoggi was not just a Washington Post reporter, right. okay? He was not. He was a spy. He was an agent of influence for the Saudi royal family, and he was aligned with enemies of MBS within the royal family, namely one Mohammed bin Nayef, who is the cousin, older cousin of MBS, who was supposed to be named the heir apparent in 2016. He was the head of Saudi's intelligence services. He also is somewhat friendly with the Islamist side 
of Saudi politics, but ultimately because Trump was elected and because MBS had been making inroads with Jared Kushner and the Trump administration, incoming Trump administration at the time, the king of Saudi Arabia said, I've got to name my son, who's younger, and he's got more contacts with the new American leadership. I'm going to name him as my heir apparent and push MBN aside. All right, hold that thought right there, buddy. Hold it, because there's a a lot more there, and i got to take the break. I'll take the quick break. Brandon Weikert and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and today it still remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need a pushy commission salesperson to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably already want it. All you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. Enter the Midas Gold Group. I and thousands of you own precious metals from veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. And more of you can as well. Trust the dealer that I trust. I do own gold. I own silver. You can call them at four eight from Midas Gold Group. I can. You can call them at four eight zero three six zero three thousand. That's four eight zero three six zero three thousand. Or visit them, visit them online at midasgoldgroup.com. That's Midas goldgroup.com. Great folks. Just wonderful. Brandon Weikert, another great folk, is with us. He is the author of the book coming out this month, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. We'll move over to Iran in a minute. Brandon was talking about Saudi Arabia and uh, the theory about, uh, would you say, seeking regime change is uh, is perhaps uh, the, the, the subplot or the headline to what you're talking about, Brandon, a little bit? Yeah, so... Yeah, so basically what I was trying to get at with the whole MBN versus MBS thing is that the CIA and most of the national security state were mostly behind Mohammed bin Nayef. And when MBS completely upset the apple cart uh, in 2015 or 16, when he became, 2016, when he became the crown prince and the heir apparent to the king, um, and then he was basically kind of the Trump front man in the Middle East, certainly in the Sunni Arab world, Mm -hmm. and he kind of led this very strong anti-Iranian push that helped to create the Abraham Accords, which basically united the Sunni Arab world with Israel for the first time in order to contain uh, Iran. Um, He really... He really aggravated a lot of people on the American left. As I I note in the coming book, uh, The Shadow War, um, since Jimmy Carter, Democrats, for a multiplicity of reasons, have generally favored trying to do business with and empower Islamist political parties throughout the Middle East. Uh, And so the Democrats want to see the Islamists who rule Iran to be empowered uh, because they think that that represents the Iranian people more than any other group could, uh, and the the uh, Saudi under the Saudis under uh, MBS are a direct threat to the democratic overarching uh, goal of normalizing relations with Islamist Iran and giving them nuclear weapons. Of course, Saudi Arabia is vociferously opposed to this under MBS. MBS, as the foreign minister in 2015 was the guy who initiated the Saudi war against Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in neighboring Yemen, further embarrassing then-President Obama, because, of course, Obama helped to destabilize Yemen and handed it over to al-Qaeda and Iran in the first place back in 2010. So 
this is all playing out in the background of this Biden-MBS rivalry um, because MBS is a thorn in the side for Democratic Party foreign policy, which is to empower Iran. I do believe we are seeing the early beginnings of what could be uh, a secret American-backed uh, regime change mission directed against MBS. Uh, and I think that this is very similar, as you, you read my book, so you know, to what Jimmy Carter was doing, giving credence and empowering uh, the Grand Ayatollah Khomeini, who was at the time in exile in Paris uh, at, at when the, the Great Revolution was going on in Iran to overthrow the Shah. The Shah fled Iran, ultimately. But the generals who worked for the Shah were saying, we're going to go in and we're going to wipe out the Islamists and the Marxists who are trying to overthrow the system here. America, Mr. President Carter, will you help us? Carter's sending love letters to Khomeini in Paris going, please go and take over. We can do business with the Islamists of Iran. You will be our front people going against communism, and, and you represent the Iranian people more. So th there's a very similar pattern. Carter helped to overthrow, uh, nominally, he helped to overthrow the Shah by giving credence to Khomeini, by encouraging him to go. Carter also sent General Robert Heiser, who's the head of NATO at the time, Air Force General, sent him down to try to get the Shah's general to embrace and accept uh, the Khomeini when he arrived. And the generals were saying, if you do this, make us do this, he's going to kill us. We should kill him. And Heiser said, if you ever want to get American support for Iran, you're not going to interrupt Khomeini's trip here. Perfect. Oh, my gosh. And All right. Now yeah. we've got the transition to Iran, which is great. You did it well. Um, let me pick up on that when you come right back with us. Will you? Uh, yeah, let's pick up on that that storyline. I, I, it's just amazing to see all the smart people in 79, professors at Princeton, assuring us and Carter that Ayatollah Khomeini was someone we could do business with, a moderate, not an extremist. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're wor worried about stock market volatility, let me tell you about an investment opportunity with a strong fixed rate of return that has no correlation to the stock market. I'm talking about my friends and show supporters. Why refi? They're offering a great investment. It's in a secure, collateralized portfolio with an up to 10.25% return for investors. And the investment can be an individual or joint investment as much as it can be in a trust or an IRA. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm, as I say, made up of really great guys who do really well by doing good for others. And you can too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R E F Y.com. Or give them a call at 855 316 3087. 855 316 Never a sales pitch. They just like talking about what they're doing and letting it speak for itself. Brandon Weikert is our guest has a new book coming out next week on Iran, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. We're talking about it just now. Brandon, uh, they, 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 they got Khomeini totally wrong, the wise people and the leftists did. Yep. You, you know, my favorite piece is uh, Richard Falks in the New York Times. Yep. Princeton professor, still around. I was just double-checking on that. He is a... Um, He's on the editorial board of The Nation and The Progressive. Surprise, of surprise, of course. And he wrote a very big piece in the New York Times in 1979 saying that critics of the Khomeini uh, depicting him as fanatical 
are um, defaming him. Uh, yeah. He is. Uh, they said the idea that he has prejudices or that he will be hard to work with is a fantasy. Happily false was his phrase. This was a moderate right. we could do business with. They all got him wrong. Well, not all, not all, but the leftists did, and they're doing it yeah. again. They're doing it again with Saudi Arabia. Yep. It's the same logic they're applied, that they applied to saying Khomeini can be a friend. He's really, he's, he's a good guy. Uh, it's the same logic they're using to try to, to push around and possibly push out Mohammed bin Salman because he's an autocrat, just like the Shah was, but the alternative is going to be worse. Uh, and it's the same thing. And, um, uh, you know, we keep making the same mistake when Democrats are in power. When I say we, I mean the country, yeah. uh, you know, in the Middle East, which is we keep thinking that uh, the Islamists really represent the majority of the, the opinion in the region. And who are we to stand opposed to, opposed to that? We have to figure out a way to work with that. You can't work with that because the Islamist movement, since its founding in 1923, is predicated on destroying the West. It's about just removing Western influences in the, in the Muslim world uh, at any and all costs. So, um, you know, and, and we look at Iran today. It didn't have to be this way. As tough as the Shah was, he was a brutal guy. He was modernizing Iran. And had he not been removed from power, had he either survived long enough or had he handed the country off to someone he hand-selected, I guarantee you Iran would be much better off as a nation today, 40 years after the revolution, uh, or 50 years, uh, than uh, what it is now. Which, you know, it, this is the real tragedy here, is that the Americans could have easily stopped Khomeini and the Islamists from taking power by just standing by our friend who was already on the ground, who had already been standing up for us for decades. You could say this about probably 10 other countries during the Carter administration, too, that we didn't stand by. And now during the Biden administration. And now during the Biden administration. The Iran story, the protests on the streets, I was just reading a Washington Post write-up. There's a now very prominent third teenage girl that they have shot and killed. Boy, they hate women. They hate women and they hate young people. Um, You know, David Goldman has been writing about this for years, and I mentioned this in my book, his research. Um, basically, Iran for the last 30 years is not having enough babies. Their fertility rate is plummeting to catastrophic levels, almost as bad as Russia. Uh, what that means is that the young people are not feeling as though it's a healthy society to, to start families in and bring young, you know, new young people into the mix. They're just not having babies. They're not having families enough. Um, and that has to do with this sort of a cultural depression or malaise on the part of young Iranians who feel that the government is out of touch with them, who feel that the government is out to get them, and they are, who think that the government is, is oppressive, and it is, and they're just tired of it. And now finally they've reached the point not only where they're just sort of disconnecting entirely from living normal lives, but now they're so aggravated, they're actually uprising against uh, the regime there, whether or not they'll be successful, uh, you know, who knows? It's up in the air, especially because the Americans under Biden are trying to empower the regime. I mean, this is insane, insane. 
it's not going to end very well the way we're going at it right now, I don't think, because right now the way we're going at it is silence. Um, there is no word for the protesters from the Biden administration. Yeah. The only comment you get from the Biden administration is we're monitoring the situation very right. closely. Oh, do you still want to do an, a deal with this regime and give them hundreds of billions of dollars? Yes, we're working on it. Yes. And so remember the old leftist uh Mantra, silence is violence. Yeah, silence um, equals death is know, what I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah right, right. And and remember that this this Iranian protest is made to order for the left. It's being led by young women in defense of gay rights, in defense of all the things the left tells us they love, in defense of democracy, real democracy, supposedly. And yet Biden is mute on this. Yeah. Mute. And meanwhile... The counteroffensive that Russia is doing in Ukraine in response to that bridge attack, they're using Iranian drones. They're, the Iranians are as much involved with helping Russia and Ukraine as the Russians are involved in the region of the Middle East helping Iran. And so where is the Biden administration? Why are they mum? Does it, is it that the Iranian protesters just don't have enough dirt on Hunter Biden the way that Ukraine <laughs> Brandon, your book is out uh, in about a week, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Take a minute or two and tell the audience what they'll get in your book. So this book was obviously written before the protest, but actually I sort of predicted the protest in Chapter 2 of the book, uh, in which I I just talked about the fertility rates and and sort of that cultural depression that's going on. And I, I say in the book that there's going to be a triggering point uh, in which there is a real uprising there, whether it's successful or not, I can't, I couldn't tell you. Um, but in this context, you're now going to have a regime in Iran, as I talk about in the book, that is increasingly more rabid ideologically. The Iranian regime, as I talked about in the book, really believes it's their mission to wage war upon the unbelievers and infidels in the Sunni Arab states, in Israel, in the West in order to bring about basically the, the rebirth or the apocalypse so that they can, you know, remake the world uh, in a Shiite, 12-er, Islamist uh, image. And I talk about in the book all the different threat vectors that, uh, that Iran is following, how they're involved with Latin America, trying to move medium-range ballistic missiles into Latin America to threaten us, moving Hezbollah into Latin America, how they're threatening Israel, how there's probably going to be a third intifada very soon because Iran is now partnering not only with Hezbollah and Lebanon, but with Hamas and uh, Fatah. And so this whole region of destabilization that's going on in the Middle East, that's all Iran. This is where I think, God help us, the next world war will be triggered, maybe not in Ukraine. It might just be in Iran, and we're ignoring it at the precise moment that we should be giving it our full attention. Well, it's a it's it's a very well written book. It's accessible by anyone, apprehensible by everyone, and it couldn't have been more timely. It couldn't have been better written. The Shadow War: Iran's Quest for Supremacy out a week from tomorrow. You can order it online right now. Brandon J. Weikert for your brain your time, your friendship, and your scholarship. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people at Balance of Nature, good people who make a great product. I take it every single day. It's pure, potent plant power. You are getting, in one daily dose, a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. All the great, potent stuff you wish you could have, it's in there. It's all in there, and you just take it once a day, and you're boosting your health, your immunity, your energy, as I say, 100% natural. Uh, Balanceofnature.com. Fruits and veggies, and make sure to use discount code BALANCE at balanceofnature.com. I was just, um, I was watching some clips. J.D. Vance is uh, the Republican candidate for Senate in Ohio. I was just watching some clips of a debate he's engaging in right now. And um, let me let me offer this advice up, or this thought anyway, and it's 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 not brain surgery or anything like that. But, you know, the media narrative about, People like J.D. Vance, it's equally true of candidates like Blake Masters or Carrie Lake, for that matter. You know, they 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 like to have their their little uh, they like to make pinatas of them and they like to create a narrative about them. Watch these debates. Watch Blake Masters up against Mark Kelly last week. You can do it. If you're interested in the Ohio race or J.D. Vance's candidacy, watch this debate. He's, uh, I guess it's going on right now, but once it's over, it'll all be available online. Go to the CBS website and watch the interview from Sunday, CBS Sunday morning. Watch the interview with Katie Hobbs. They did eight minutes with Katie Hobbs, and then they did eight minutes with Carrie Lake. And then do an experiment. If you have, I don't know, an eight year old or a 17 year old or yeah i don't care someone in their 20s or 30s who's not that political don't tell them which party those people are when they listen if they have the time or patience to do it you could easily do it with eight minutes and eight minutes with carrie and katie for example or take a selection from blake masters debate with mark Kell. just ask a 17 18 or a 20 year old who's not that political just ask them who they'd vote for ask them who sounds smart Ask them who sounds like they know what they're talking about and ask them who sounds vacuous and empty and not to be trusted with any kind of power, political or otherwise whatsoever. These are not close calls on objective examination. They're just not. That's why the media is working so hard for their guys, because they need all the help they can get. All we need, all we need is a fair hearing. Three words, a fair hearing, and then tell Joe Biden how to count. All right, I got a lot of requests for a repeat of my monologue. I'll do it at the top of the next hour. And Chad Wolf will be joining us, former director of Homeland Security. I'm Seth. Don't go away. Be right back.